Hello, hello and welcome to another episode of the Christian Reef podcast. Today's guest is a Christian philosopher and podcaster hailing all the way from Brooklyn in the United States. His name is Jonathan Drayton. Welcome to the show, Jonathan. How are you doing? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me. By the way, I'm a new subscriber on your channel. And I have to say, yeah, I really enjoy your your show. Oh, thank you so much, man. That that means the world to me to hear. and like I, I'm, I'm kind of just fa- I'm always fascinated by by my guests, but like I just got to ask you right off the bat, man. What what is a Christian philosopher? How does that work? Surely that's a okay. Is that, I, I don't know. No, I was going to say it was juxtaposition, like it's two opposites. But no, you can be you can philosophize Christianity. Yeah, yeah. why not? Tell me, what is a Christian philosopher? So it's something that I came up with, but I would say I'm a Christian first, and whatever topic I'm interested in, I am second. But I think you can be a Christian doctor, a Christian physician, a Christian professor, right? I think when you look at the word philosophy, it's a lover of wisdom. So I am actually a person that loves wisdom. The only difference for me is I look at philosophy in the context of loving God's word through the Bible. So all I do is all my arguments are centered around the belief of God's government, God's justice, God's love, and all the arguments are centered around the message of the gospel. So that's pretty much what it is. I love wisdom. I prefer most of the wisdom to come out of the word of God. And that's kind of like my filter, you know, my compass of how I view the world. And how I approach things and how I intend to you know, interact with people. So that's really pretty much what is, you know, I know a lot of people view it as if they have, there's some sort of conflict, but I think it could be mutually exclusive. It, it could be diametrically opposed. The question becomes to what extent and to how far you're willing to take, you know, those two positions and, and, you know, I think the average philosopher loves to be free from the constraint of a basis of something that's centered around a limitation, right? So they like to be free thinkers based upon the knowledge and insight that they learn over a period of time. And at least for someone like me, I believe the buck stops. And therefore, I learn over time to see how things fall in line with at least where my faith lies. So it kind of leads into what I was going to ask you next, which is when you, you must find times in your life where there is sort of a conflict of interest or a conflict of beliefs. And when you reach those, how, how do you tackle them? I mean, cause when I look at, like, I will just say now for those listening, um, where I personally lean is, somewhere kind of like in spiritualism or agnostic, you know, the reason I'm not an atheist and I've said in the past, sometimes that I'm an atheist and I normally change that and I go, Oh, I'm agnostic. Cause for me, it's like, I'm open to the idea and the possibilities. And I like to explore like all religions to try and find whatever makes sense to me personally, you know, but to me, it's like a whole journey that you take yourself on and you're constantly like reflecting and, and wondering and such but it's, what's interesting to me is when someone chooses a particular faith and sticks with it mm-hmm. where that kind of leaves you when for example certain things in your life you know test your belief systems or 
you know, maybe there isn't an answer for specifically the problem that you're having, you know, like, mm. so how, how, do, how do you deal with those kind of conflicts and, and where that leaves your belief system? Yeah. So, you know, when I'm faced with, you know, pushback or I'm faced with adversity, right. I understand that that's part of the journey in anything, right. You know, show me the person that's lived life and doesn't have any scars, right. Has it been through some things? I think if in life, you know, part of the Christian walk is embracing what would be considered a suffering, right? I think it's part of the stage that molds you, right? So if I may, there's two scriptures that I can think of right now that shape my reality, at least gets me to a place where I can understand that it's actually for my benefit. So for example, passage in the book of James that says, Consider it pure joy when you face trials and tribulations to know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. That perseverance finishes work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. If anyone lacks anything, let them ask God who gives generously without finding fault. This surpasses in Romans chapter 5, verse 3 to 5, that tells you, rejoice in your suffering because suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance produces character, character produces hope, and hope does not put you to shame because the Holy Spirit has been poured out onto you. When I face situations, I've learned to embrace them because out of it, you become a better person, right? I think in order for a person to mature and to appreciate something, it has to be a counter, right? So it's sort of like David the Bible had a Goliath. I believe we all have a Goliath in our life. So rather than running from the challenge, it's embracing the challenge because once the challenge is over, you come out of that situation much better than you were when you went into it. And for someone like me, faith is that compass that steers me in the direction to embrace that situation that's challenging me. Because at the end of the day, I think just like in anything else, there's a, there's a resistance that comes along that path of you trying to do what you feel is right. And the question is, are you going to embrace that re resistance or are you going to run away from the resistance? That's kind of how, when I see stuff that I deal with, I count it as joy because it's necessary. It's like for my good, right? And I'll mention one more verse in Romans chapter 8, verse 28. It says, all things work together for those who love the Lord and according, accord according to his purpose. So that situation that I'm going through, I believe God is using it to help develop my character, to help put me in a place where my faith increases and, and improves. But if resistance doesn't exist, then how can I say that I've evolved, I've improved, you know, I'm in a better place where Anytime something comes up, I can point to that situation that shows that I've overcame the circumstances. There are things in what you said there that I believe in, and then there's other things that I, I question. And this mainly comes from a combination of two things. One is my personal experience, and the other is the experiences of many others that have communicated to me over the years, be it on social media and real life and so on. Um, what you were talking about, you know, with, with having faith, you know, hope, belief, 
pushing forward in despite of everything. I think that there is truth in that. And whether that's because you believe in something bigger than yourself or whether that's just you believing in the fact that things will get better at some point. Um, sometimes that doesn't apply. There are people sometimes that come into my live streams and you know, I've managed to sort of create like a nice little safe space for people to talk and experience and share how they feel about certain things. And sometimes people come in there and they'll be like, well, I've been dealing with X and X problems for years and years and years and it never gets better. And what do I do? How, how can, how can I just have belief and faith in things when things never get better? And, you know, I, I try to do my best to to give people good advice, but I, I agree with them too. Like, cause I've been there, like when you're going through stuff for many, many years and it's just see it feels like the world is just crashing on your shoulders and and life is just throwing you everything and from a religious standpoint i would i would be angry if there was a god i'd be like you know it's one thing to throw me tests in life and to to keep pushing me and to you know to give me strength to give me all these things i need to to move forward but when it's just relentless year upon year upon year it makes you wonder um when you think about when people take their lives or when people, you know, find themselves in really tricky situations and they, and they wonder how they can keep going. I don't know that it's necessarily enough to just have faith and, you know, hope that it'll get better. I mean, when I look at my own personal experience, I, I can, I can empathize. I, I remember a time in my life when I was young and I hated life and it constantly felt like everything sucked all the time and it was never going to get better. And you know, what was ironic is that I, my life changed, it changed for the better, but a lot of things had to change. My life had to look completely different. And then I entered probably the worst period of my life ever. So it kind of, my life kind of went, you know, like that. <laughs> and then I do recognize how I changed as a person for the better. And I'm grateful for that. And in a weird kind of messed up way, I feel like it was necessary because now here I am the man that sits before you and speak, speaking with you. But at the same time, I wonder, and, you know, I think about things like, is it fair? Is it just, is it right? And the thing that kept me going is pure stubbornness. That's it. I just, kept going because what else is there i wasn't going to give up and and go down the path i spoke down before but i've been close i've i've considered that i've you know but when you see your friends go down that route and you're like okay um i i just i, I didn't want to do that because i felt like i don't i didn't to be honest when i got to that decision of of and again it goes back to the wider point i guess about what we're talking about in this show is is you know doing things bigger than yourself i decided to stay because of the people around me people that i love the people that i cared about and i tried to kind of find a way to keep going for them and not for me and that is positive but you know it does need to be about you that's the thing um you need to be happy because without you being happy it's very difficult to keep moving forward and keep pushing and bringing it back to what we're talking about. Like, I, cause I know you're not saying to have blind faith. I know that's not what it is, but at the same time, it's like, 
it's hard to just believe in the process and and think it's going to get better when all you seem to receive is challenges and tough things and you know i hear that there's friends i have who you know they describe themselves as being tough people but they're not happy about it do you know what i mean it's like you know life keeps throwing these challenges and and yet life isn't getting better i can deal with it i can try and make the best of it but why isn't it getting better so <laughs> deflate for i guess what i'm trying to ask you with with all of that is is how do you advise people in that position people that are going through a lot that maybe are dealing with this for many many years how do you advise that mm -hmm. uh from from your standpoint well having a relationship you know with christ there's an understanding that jesus said in this life you will face tribulation like you will have hardships you will, have, you will you're going to experience hard times but he says be a good cheer for i have overcome the world so you know things are not going to be perfect back you know when you declare that jesus christ is your lord you're going to be persecuted now that persecution may not be exactly what jesus faced but i remember when he was crucified and resurrected there were many christians who declared and said that they were followers of christ and it says in the scriptures that 500 people witnessed the resurrection a lot of them were tortured and killed by a man named nero right but to me what makes a person stable in their faith is that it's a conviction not a preference so a conviction is something that you believe no matter what circumstance that you have a preference is something that changes based upon new information so there's a court case in 1982 jonas yoda versus the state of wisconsin right so i'm going a little history here and what happened was he was told he was homeschooling his kids then i guess he was going to take them to public school and at the time he was informed or told that, you know, certain things that you were doing for your children, you can no longer do that anymore. So when it comes to having faith, you have to understand at least, are you going to stand convicted in what you believe regardless of the circumstances? Or are you going to fold and allow the circumstances to dictate their position that you take, right? And you mentioned something earlier that I agree with, that the faith that I have isn't blind, but it's a trusted faith, it's a reasoned faith. So there's something in the book of Hebrews chapter 11 that talks about the whole of faith. And it's different people that are being honored and they're mentioned and there are some that aren't mentioned that speak about their, their lifestyle and what they went through and how the faith that they had was viewed as honorable to God, right? And unfortunately, once you step into the real world, you have real life experiences, there's no easy way out. So I'm not gonna tell you that there's an easy way out, but there's an understanding that you're not alone, right? There are other believers around the world. That's why there's a saying in Romans that we should basically encourage by one another that share in that same understanding that is no easy you know receiving of the fact that when you stand for truth there will be people 
that won't agree with you, right? And at least when it comes to me and sharing these things, you have to be even kill in regards to people's willingness to accept it or people's willingness to reject it. I think there's an understanding that in the book of First Peter chapter 3, verse 15, it says, always be prepared to give a reason for the hope that you have, but do it gently and respectfully. And I understand historically, you know, we can count the ways of how people have murdered and killed in the name of religion, right? And that's a huge problem. Getting back to the Catholic Church in the 1800s, right? And there's even a passage that, that speaks about that too in Luke chapter 9, verse 51 to 56, where Jesus is having a conversation as he enters into Samaria and they're sharing the gospel message and people are, are not responsive to it, don't want to hear it. And immediately he's the, the two disciples are quoting a passage in Elijah that he called on fire down on heaven onto people. And what we see in that text is Jesus rebukes them and said that the son of man did not come to kill lives, but to save them. So it's all in the perspective and how we understand it. And I think when we look at when the question that you're asking is, what do you say in these moments, in these situations, when you're going through hard times in life? I think that that's part of life in every circle, whether you're a believer or not. I think that that's part of what you have to deal with on a regular basis. And I can speak from personal experience. My life hasn't been, you know, blue skies and sunshines. I've gone through quite a bit of stuff, but I understand that some of the things that I'm going through, it's, I believe it's part of a stage. Interesting enough, I don't know if you're familiar with the story of Joseph. For his most of his young life in his father's house, he has brothers that were envious of him because of the gifts that he had, the ability to interpret dreams. And what happens is his brothers didn't like him and they sold him into slavery, right? And then he went through a period in time when he was in jail. And it said, regardless of that period of time, that God was with him in spite of it. Then Pharaoh's actual wife, Potiphar, said that he tried the vapor. So then he was placed inside the jail, but in the midst of that, he saw that God's hand was still there. There was still grace and mercy in spite of the punishment that he was receiving. He's in jail and he get, he gains favor with the warrant in jail. And he's put in charge of responsibilities. So he, he runs, a, he's, there's a situation where you have a cupbearer and a chief who enters the prison and he finds out that they are having these weird dreams. He interprets the dreams and he expects one of them to go back and tell Pharaoh so that he can say, hey, this guy can interpret dreams so that he can remove himself out of the situation that he's in. The guy forgets him. Two years go by. So imagine, this is all suffering, a suffering period of time that Joseph is going through. Two years goes by. Pharaoh has a dream. Then there's a conversation that, hey, there is a man who interprets these two individuals' dreams. He's in jail. He's brought to Pharaoh. He's told, he, his, he hears the dream, he's told of the dream. And the next thing you know, he's in a position now where he's in second in rule in all of Egypt. So what do I say to that? 
all those experiences up until that point were long periods of suffering, right? And then he finally was able to see the end of the tunnel, like things subsided for him. And then later on, he speaks about how now he's in a predicament where he starts a family and he has a wife and he has two kids. And he's in a point now where in reflecting, he says, you know, everything that had happened to me in the past, I don't even remember at this point. So I say this all to say that sometimes, you know, your prime years is your success happens in different stages of your life. Sometimes your successes are early and then you suffer later. Sometimes your success is much later in your life. Like I believe the ages of 25 used to be what is considered your prime years. Now it's shifted to 37 because you're looking at the success that you're gaining and the wisdom that you're getting over a period of time, whether you're starting businesses, whether you're opening new projects, whether you have more things to offer, whether your list on your resume is extending. And I would say all those things work together for your good in the end. Because if you haven't gone through those things, then you can't recall those experiences. And if those experiences don't happen, then you can't look back at it and say, you know, I've learned something from that experience. So I understand, you know, the tougher challenges that we go through and the stuff that we face. And I've been there. I've had my car. I've fixed my car numerous times. I got 232,000 miles in this car. And I've changed the power steering pump out. I've changed a numerous amount of things. And let me tell you, it's killing my pockets. But I know at the end, later on, I'll be able to look at that and say, you know what? That was a period in time when I learned a lot about the cars. And now I can pretty much tell you if I, something's going wrong, I kind of know where it is. But I wouldn't have gotten to that point if it didn't happen. So I think there are reasons for them. And I think that's part of, you know, your growth stage and your development. So that's just, you know, what I believe in. I believe it's going to work for my good eventually. It's going to come out where I've benefited. You know, you raise a very good point and we did touch on it briefly earlier, but I I think it's true. Like when, especially when, when you get older and you look at people younger than you and you're advising them and they get a bit annoyed, you know, like, Oh, you know, just because you're older doesn't mean you know everything. Or if they say like, oh, I've been through things and, and they probably have. But there's something to be said for like getting older, going through hardships and so on. and Or even just at any age, going through hardships and, and how that ages you. Because it does age you. It does. It gives you like a, a sense of perspective that you can't. It's like once it happens, you can't go back. Yeah, that's you now. And it's kind of terrifying in a way, because it's like when I think about the bad things that have happened in my life and the way I am now, I'm grateful to be the way I am. But I also remember who I used to be. And that person's gone. He's never coming back. I mean, I'm glad he's not because, you know, he was just a boy. But at the same time, some of that... um, there's like a sadness there sometimes because it's like I, I look back and I'm like part of the reason that that boy is gone is because life was was not kind <laughs> and uh, it was like you know you, you're kind of pushed into mm-hmm. into how you need to be and it, it, it's kind of bittersweet I think because you become the person that you were supposed to become yeah but but along the way a lot of things had to have happened for that and and you know even even when I just look at Jesus, right? He had a ministry for three and a half years. 
And he went through periods of time of healing and being, you know, praised by people. And then he went through a period of time when people were yelling that he was going to die. He's going to be crucified. And all those cheers turned into angry voices. And I can imagine, you know, you're having to die that way. And then one minute in your life, you're looking at the great times you had and everything. So, you know, it's these stages that you, these little stages that you go through and you, you, you kind of wonder, why am I going through this? Why is it necessary? And I think as human beings, sometimes we're, we're paying so close to the details and we don't look at the main points of our life. It's the details that hurt us. And if we were concerned about every single detail, then I don't think we will ever get to where we need to be. It's sort of like, hey, you need to go through this period in time in order for you to get to this point here. And sometimes it's meeting people, it's running into individuals that you that you know you're in the right place at the right time. I call them divine meetings because I think it's just along your path to where you need to be. And some things are pleasant, some things are not. Like just recently, I I lend money to someone, and they kind of promised me <laughs> that they can they can pay it back. And I always say, you know, if you can't pay it back always make sure you tell the person. So the person said that they could, but I guess why would you make mention of that if you know you couldn't? Then you know the person's not going to give it to you. But that's you assuming how things are going to play out. And I did that, and then, you know, the excuses came. And I got really, really frustrated because our relationship was solid up until that point, right? And I had to learn, like, hey, being generous is amazing. Sometimes you have to use wisdom and know, is the friendship worth me giving this amount for us to get into an argument for it to be a loss and then for me not to have the same respect that I had for you from the beginning, right? So these are things you don't, you know, when you haven't gone through certain things and then they happen, it's like a heartbreak. You're like, man, why did I do that? But in the moment, it felt like it was the right thing to do. But then now you're like, man, I just lost a large sum of money because I placed my faith in someone that I thought would return the favor. And you kind of realize you start to measure out how things play out. And maybe the respect and love that you might have might not be the same measurement that the other person has. So it gets very tricky when you start walking down those paths. But hey, if it doesn't ever happen, then you never ever learn from it. And then you don't have wisdom to share to someone that you care about, maybe a child, maybe a friend, maybe a wife or a husband in the future. So I think those situations all count towards something. You might be really upset in the moment, <laughs> but later on you can sit back and be like, I went through that, I got past it and it's in my past now, so. Yeah, I think about a key, you? well, a key with that, I think, is is thinking about how and remembering how everything that happens in life you have to live with. Yeah. So while it might seem frustrating in the moment, like, oh, you know, I've been used, they've used me, da 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 da, da. <laughs> Like, you know, I, I've had that in the past. Someone used me badly. And I can tell you that when I look back, sure, it's frustrating, but it's done. It's in the past. It, it can't hurt me anymore. And now it's like what you said earlier about how, you know, once it's, it's in the past, it's, it's just, it's gone. Like it's, it doesn't, 
what is it now? It just doesn't exist anymore. It's just it's just a, a thing that happened. And that's the way that I look at it. But for them, if they ever do think about that, they'll have to think about the reality. Because sooner or later, reality hits you. Even if you have a particular vision and understanding of how you see the world and, you know, maybe... For instance, let's say you play the victim. Let's say you you are, oh, I'm victim. Oh, everyone else but me, that kind of attitude. One day it's going to click and you're going to realize, oh, no, actually, like I'm the problem. Like I, this is, these things are of my doing, right? Yeah. And if and when that happens, you're going to, things are going to start flooding back and you're going to see things from a different perspective and you're going to be like, oh, oh no, what do I do? Like, and it, it, you know what I mean? Like, and I, uh, Really, I, I liken it back to the idea of, of like, let's say you hate someone, right? Mm-hmm. Um, that hate doesn't really affect the other person. They might yeah. feel it. Maybe they want desperately want your forgiveness. I don't know. But like, ultimately, that hate will consume you more than it will yeah. ever hurt them. Mm-hmm. Like, it, will, it will hurt you. And when you let it go, you just realize it just it doesn't it doesn't mean anything. What would you say to an atheist or an agnostic or somebody who believes in nothing at all and leads their life only according to what they see in their 3D world or whatever their belief may be? Well, I think that I think we're all wise in our own eyes, right? Based upon what it is that we believe. So I think, have you ever read about the story about the cave? a philosophy story in the cave and, and being limited to what you can only see, what you can only hear. Okay. So I, I'll flip that. I'll share this. Right? If, if the way I view the world is limited, right. Then because it's limited, then I don't know all there is to know about how I can be successful or flourish. So I think when you walk in life, only seeing it from a certain perspective, but not from a large spectrum perspective, I think you're missing out, right? And even if you don't agree about what it is, I still think it's worthwhile investigating. So, you know, in school, I majored in history, political science, and philosophy. And there are a lot of interesting topics that I engaged over my time in college. And one of those topics happened to be about a philosopher named Heidegger. And he spoke about what he called human existence and he called it Dasein. And he talked about the value of the human being and how things become a value once we step into that space and we give it value, right? So for an example, he would say that a pen across your room doesn't have any value. It doesn't exist. But you who is a moving object, a human being, a presence, can come and give purpose to that pen across the room over there, right? Now, some may say the pen exists merely because it has value, regardless whether you give it value or you. Some will say, yes, I agree. You do give it value because if you or someone else who doesn't use it, then what value does it have if it's not being used? Those are multiple different perspectives to have. 
or you can be a person that's limited to that perspective that you think that you have and therefore that's the only way that you see its value right and you know the saying one man's trash is another man's treasure that's based upon the limited perspective of a person has or the outcome that they can see it going through eventually right there's a passage in Corinthians where it says those who think they know something don't yet know as they ought to know i love that passage because what it does is it highlights that anybody who thinks that they have arrived in life right i would run from them right because there's so much about life there's so much about the things that you encounter the things that you experience that if you're willing to only remain in that so that that space where this is as far as you want to take it and you don't want to learn anymore i think as creatures of habit we're always looking to evolve and to, to improve and to get better so even if i don't agree with it and i don't i don't like the perspective that doesn't mean that there's not more to it and i think when we close ourselves off from understanding a person and the way they or the reason they practice things and the reason why they believe things i think what so caught up in how we view the world that we're closed off about how someone else does. And I think it's always important to embrace and love and appreciate someone else's perspective, even though I may not agree with it, but it allows me to be prepared for the next conversation and dialogue that I have with somebody else because now they've, you know, given me the tools and the information that I need to have a productive conversation on my ears. So that's what I would say. Hey, I don't agree with it, but I understand it. And I think when you have an understanding of it, you're appreciating the person and what's important to them, even though I can't subscribe to what it is that they believe in. But there's something about sitting together and breaking bread and not agreeing, but maybe coming to some commonality that out of it is something you get that can be useful in the future. And, and that's to me is very important to me when it comes to relationships and it comes to, you know, building connections, that that's kind of how I see it. So, yeah, what I would tell somebody that's uh, this. One of the terms that you've used on your Instagram posts quite frequently is a smart believer. What is a smart believer? Well, <clears throat> I would say... A smart believer is one that knows what they ought to do and then acting on it, right? I think a lot of us sometimes what we tend to do is we know what is right and yet we kind of steer away from it. So there's a difference between ignorance and stupidity, right? right? Ignorance is not knowing. Therefore, the choices and decisions that you make are evident because you were in a position where you didn't know. Stupidity is knowing what you ought to do and then still not doing it and then getting upset about it afterwards after you've done it. You, to me, what puts you in a category of being stupid is having the information that act appropriately and then electing not to. And then you have no one else to blame but yourself. So I, I use it as an example. There was a point in time in which in my life when I was in California and I had a roommate that used to smoke weed heavily. And I'm not a smoker. As a roommate, I understood that for him, smoking weed was his ability to function. Like he was smoking weed so much. Yeah, he used weed 
and it allowed him to function. And he was a musician. So, you know, it's interesting <laughs> enough, there are, people are very creative, you know, when, it, when it, they, they, you know, they tap into that and I understand it because I, you know, I'm a lover of jazz. I'm a lover of, I used to play, I used to play a few instruments. So I know a lot of people who are looking to be creative and they're looking to tap into something that they believe can help them. So that was a big thing for him. He loved music. He tapped into that. And that was just his way of life, man. Now, what I had told him is I said, hey, you know, at the time, I remember when I first landed, and this is Fresno, California. And I asked California. Him, <laughs> of course he's from California. Yeah, Sorry. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. Well, so there was two things that happened here with him. And his name is Joe, by the way. Uh, Joe, you watching? You know, I love you, man. You're still, you're still brother to me. So when I first landed, I remember he took me to Walmart and I got everything that I needed. Cool guy, oh, cool. very down to yeah, very down to earth guy. And then there was a class at night that I used to ask him to get me from because the distance from where I lived to the university was about a good fifteen minutes. And all he would say is, "Hey, just get me a snow cone from Sonic, and that's like your pay." Or, "Hey, you know, pass me a couple bucks for my gas tank." And I'd be like, "Okay, that's cool. I, I got you." And I remembered I was going home for Christmas. And I remember we had a conversation. I said, hey, I would appreciate it if, you know, if I'm going anywhere, if you couldn't, like, if you could just function regularly, like, I would appreciate that. And knowing history and knowing who he is, it was idiotic on my part to think that by me making that suggestion to him, that he would, he would actually do it. So I remember him taking me to the airport. And, you know, in some of these highways, there's this loop that you go to. And I remember I remember him driving on it, the car twisting, and we driving off the cliff and landed into dirt. And amazingly, because it was interesting, I'm on the phone with my mom. I'm having a conversation. The car shifts one way, shifts the other way. We go off the cliff, and my life flashed before my eyes. And I'm on the phone and we're screaming on the phone with my mom. And we land in a ditch. And my mom's like, everything's okay? I was like, I'll call you back. I climb out of the ditch. And I was ready to just say all types of things at the time. But what made me realize is not only did we land in a ditch, there was no damage to his car. So we were shielded somehow. And a random guy comes up and he says, where are you going? I said, I'm going to the airport. And he drives me the rest of the way. And when I land and I'm waiting for my flight, oh, I remember he texts me. He says, bro, car is not damaged. A lifter came and lifted my car out of the ditch. And I'm on, I'm on my way back to the apartments. I didn't even text him after that. And I never got back in the car with him again. So there's, there's a few lessons I learned out of this situation. Right. One, when they say, hey, don't get in the car with drinkers and smokers. I looked at the situation and thought, well, he, 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 he's an individual that functions with this. Even though I told him not to, but he's an individual that functions with this. So I should be okay. That was a bad choice. I probably should have spent the money necessary to get me there safe. And 
hey, that was the first time in my life where something supernaturally happened that I couldn't explain. And I made it out of the situation unscarred. And it was so interesting because I had so much time to think about it because then I had a layover. So that was on my mind the entire time. And I said, hey, there has to be something greater that I have to do if I survive this. Because normally, I don't think I do survive this. That was an idiotic choice by me to try to save a couple of the dollars when I could have done the more smart thing. So as a believer, I understand that when you put yourself in compromised positions, there's no way of telling how they're going to come. So moving forward, if I know that the situation isn't safe, then I shouldn't take the gamble in order to save a couple of dollars. But instead, I need to be the smart believer in knowing that, hey, he can do whatever he wants to do in his private time. The minute you enter his space and he's under influencement somehow, whatever happens to him is going to happen to you. And you're a byproduct of that because you chose to put yourself in that predicament. You have nobody else to blame but yourself. So that's what I learned out of that situation. So I'm about to do um, a show on near-death experiences soon. And uh, first of all, just thank you for sharing that. I really appreciate it. Um, yeah. You said that you know, your life kind of flashed before your eyes. And I imagine it must have just been kind of an in- instantaneous type of thing. But was there anything you recall maybe that was just kind of out of sorts, a bit different, something that you... I've not experienced before anything else you could sort of share from that experience and how it kind of, let's say changed your perspective thereafter. Yeah. So a couple of things at the time, uh, I was a virgin. I'm still a virgin. So in my mind, I'm like, man, you haven't had sex yet. You're going to die. So that wasn't great at the time when I was happening. Like yeah. I didn't get to live life. Like <laughs> That's cut off. Yeah. Another thing that I realized is, you know, I, I this was my first experience, you know, traveling and being on the on a plane outside the United States, right? Three hour difference from New York to California. You know, I was just getting, you know, used to living on my own, right? So I was embarking on this journey where things that you dreamed about or that you couldn't wait to experience were things that I was saying to myself, like, I'm getting the hang of it. And at the time, you know, I applied for food stamps. So, man, it was the life, man. I was getting $195 a week. I had free access to buy whatever it is that I want. This was like, you know, an experience of independency that I didn't have, right? And, you know, just having that experience and going through that, it was something that I was learning to get the hang of, managing money on your own buying things that allow you to extend your meals instead of just going out and free buying anything that you need or anything that you want. I was learning, you know, how to do meal placements and preparation and stuff. A lot of these things I was learning to do on my own, managing, understanding that I got an electric bill that I have to pay. I was sharing, you know, a room with, well, an apartment with two other people. So we were sharing the fridge and stuff. So a lot of these things that I was going through, or like examples of what I know is going to be expected of me when you enter the real world. And this is not just under the confines of college, college experience. But to me, this was like my real life college experience before I actually went back to university at Albany, which is closer. which is about three hours away from me. So 
you know, having to go through these different things and that flashed before my eyes. I started looking at my life and I started talking about, hey, I'm starting to dive into these things now that I didn't think that I actually was going to do. And this is around the age of 21 to 23, I believe, at the time. I was like now becoming an adult. And in that moment, in that flash, I was saying to myself, man, I didn't even get to 30. <laughs> I didn't even get to any of that. Like, given the opportunity, I was saying to myself, man, this is this is where you start to really find out who you are as a person and what you like and what you want to do. And you know what they say, you, you go to college for these experiences because this is your first time away from your family. And now you're finding out who you are and what you want to be in life. So all that stuff flashed before my eyes because it, it would have been a tragic moment for me if I didn't get to experience any of those things. So when I think about it, yeah, that was the big concern for me in that moment. And the one opportunity that I had to make a smart decision, I took a gamble. And almost costing my life. So. Damn. <laughs> when you look at it like that, yeah. I mean, sometimes I wonder, I was walking along, um, I, was, I was recently in London, and it's not anywhere the same thing, but sometimes I think about these things. Like, there was an option to go left or right, two different escalators. And I chose to go to the right one. And I always wonder, like, what would happen if you go to the left one? Will I get a second quicker to this? Will I bump into someone? Maybe that turns into something. I mean, your mind just wanders and you think about these things like, what if, what if, what if, what if? Um, yeah, it's 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 kind of crazy. I mean, like, I, I've heard of situations where, um, you know, people have maybe been late for a bus that they normally get and it just so happens that the bus that they were going to get crashed that morning and people died you know and things like that and it's like you wonder sometimes is that was that done on purpose to protect you was it a luck thing is it something bigger than what we understand you know um yeah. it's crazy but I, I do believe what, what you were saying earlier about how um these are the years that you find out who you really are like i've certainly had that in the last couple of years especially now I feel like with this new sort of perspective I have in life, it's like now the real tests are coming and it's like, oh, wow. Okay. I thought, I thought we were done with that, but I guess that's never ending. <laughs> but yeah, now I'm not scared anymore, which is, I suppose the point. Yeah. Um, speaking of death, I just did a whole episode on the afterlife, life after death. So I got to get your thoughts on the afterlife. Okay. So just what generically just a basic my basic understanding of death. What do you think is in the afterlife? Do you think there's an afterlife? Yeah, I think there's an afterlife with God. And I I think interesting enough, you know, there's an episode I did on my podcast, The Truth of the Matter is, and and I spoke about, you know, this this conversation. Uh, the story of Lazarus, but I don't want to dive too much into the story. I just want to kind of get to the point about it. And, you know, when we look at funerals and we look at, you know, for that past, for the believer's perspective, we have an understanding that joy happens 
because we believe that the person that lived the life that they live, they're going to a place, well, right now we call it a waiting place, but eventually they're going to a place where they won't experience any pain and any sorrow and any of those sort of things. And, you know, people tend to celebrate the person, person's life in that rate, celebrate the person's life. But I think there's also a celebration for the death as well, because we know that if that person struggled with it, there was something that was ailing them, they're not free of that thing. So in regards to, you know, the emphasis on where we place it, we appreciate and understand that for us in this world, you know, there's troubles, there's problems, there's issues that we don't technically belong here. And at some point, you know, going and passing to where we believe we ultimately would be part of the process. So for me, yes, I do believe there's an afterlife. I actually think that we're in preparation for the afterlife. I think all the things that we're learning now is going to be useful where we need to be, right? And the reason why I believe that is because to me in this life, it's like you're constantly trying to be better and improve. And for us is to be holy as he's holy. And holy for us is to be set apart from the rest, right? And to me, in order to reach a stage of holiness, you're constantly being faced with trials and, and situations you're dealing with. And when those trials and situations come, the goal is to be consistent in the way that you respond. And to me, that's what you're faced with all the time in life. That's exactly what life is all about. You're going through these things over and over again so that you can get to a point that your response becomes natural, right? And there's this belief for the believer that this stage that you're going to, you're kind of rewiring the you're reprogramming yourself on how you see the things. But like we entered in the world being selfish, right? And, and I say that because babies, when they enter the world, it's the attention and everything is on them, right? Feed me, change me, love me, care for me. And as we grow up and get older, you start to realize that life is not centered around you. It's also around others. It's loving others and caring for others and being there for others and supporting others outside of yourself, right? And at least for us, right, it's the two most important commandments that we have is to love God with all your heart, mind, soul, strength, love your neighbor as yourself. And the reason why that's so important is because to love God allows God to love us. And when he loves us, he loves through us. That allows us to love others, right? So, I think when we get to this point, when we are more fixated on ourselves, then we get the lack of accountability. We get the lack of concern for people and their well-being. And we get to a point where there isn't this even a balance of kill of concern about what's going on outside of you. So we move from this selfishness to the selfless action. Where now everything that you're doing, you're not just doing to benefit yourself, what you're doing for others. And we learn that through your process, right? That our parents are very selfless individuals because they're concerned and they have care for you and they want to see you grow and mature. And then they have to teach you how to share, right? Because again, when you're born, everything that's happening is in preparation to help develop and put you into a place now that you fend for yourself. So I sent this all back to this understanding 
of death. I believe none of us can escape it. I believe that's destined for all of us. The question becomes when it happens. And then ultimately what the afterlife looks like, depending on who you speak to, it's a numerous amount of things. Some people think it's reincarnation. Some people believe that, hey, you know, in this lifetime, I'm going to turn into a bird or the way that I live my life, you know, whatever that preparation is later on, it's preparing me to the next. So I think we all have this in common to some extent that, you know, the vision or the view that we have for the everlasting, uh, the, the next life has some sort of preparation for it. Now, I know some people believe that, you know, you live your life in this particular way the fullest into your law that you have. And it's a scripture that says, you know, in the end, what is it for one to gain the whole world but lose it all, right? And that's a deep verse. That's, that's, that's a deep verse for a lot of different reasons, right? But it speaks to, you know, your time here on earth, how you using it, how you utilizing gifts, talents, and abilities, how you dealing with situations and circumstances. And, you know, did you live a life worthy of whatever your calling was here? So, you know, that's just my thought that, yes, I believe there's an afterlife. I believe that this afterlife is hinged on a lot of the things that you do here. And I think that at some point, you know, reflecting on, on, on all of those different things is something that we have to do eventually at some point. A couple of final questions for you. What's yeah. the best advice you've ever received? The quality of your thinking can determine the quality of your life. So I believe that the way that you think and how you go about things can determine the actions and choices that follow, right? I believe in life, we live our lives on levels and we arrive in stages. And therefore, there shouldn't be a competition try to compete with other people. I think you have to understand that in life, you're going to approach and get to the next level based upon what you're personally dealing with. So if I think a certain way, right, there's a passage of Romans that tells me, do not be conformed to the paths of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So what am I constantly renewing my mind with? I'm constantly renewing my mind with things that I find ethically, at least in scripture, to help me make better decisions and have better conversations. You know, when I engage with people and there's, you know, some sort of resistance. For me, I think confrontation is necessary, right? We had a little confrontation there. I think that's necessary. And the reason why I think confrontation is important is because in the end, it guarantees a solution, right? We may not fall along the lines the same way, but what I do think is that being able to understand a person creates more of a bridge that we may not agree, but we can still come together and they can be compromised. So I know most people, when they deal with confrontation, they get frustrated, but confrontation brings about a solution. And for me, that's exactly, you know, what I live for, what I appreciate and what I love doing, being respectful of another person's beliefs and values and what's important to them. And I'm pretty sure there's going to be multiple things that we will, we fall in line with. Maybe the love and condition of the human person, treating others as you want to be treated, you know, uh, being respectful and honest and letting the person speak. And I appreciate that because you've done that for me, giving me the opportunity to respond and then me listening to what you have to say. So these are things that I think naturally, when you, the quality of your thinking determines the quality of your life, engaging in these things are normal. And if you handle them appropriately and properly, 
then I think you can get something out of it. That's for sure. What's the biggest life lesson you've learned so far? Okay. Well, the biggest life lesson I learned comes from the scripture, Galatians 6, 9. It says, do not become weary in doing good for you will reap a harvest if you do not give up. So I've learned in life, part of, you know, looking for some sort of productivity or going through an experience where it's a chaotic experience or a crisis experience, it's not giving up in the midst of it. And when you don't give up, eventually, with the amount of work that you put in, just like a plant, it goes through a stage, it's going to grow into something. It's going to blossom into something. And to me, that's based upon how much work you're willing to put into that something. So life is all about, you know, receiving blows and taking blows and giving them back. And sometimes it's going to be ugly. Sometimes it's going to be smooth sailing. I think we in life, we have storms where you're caught up in it, but you continue along that path, whether it's faith or whether it's trusting yourself or whatever you believe, right? that eventually it's going to get you to the other side or you're going to see some sort of productivity that comes out of it. And I think as human beings, as we grow and mature, it's the same sort of experience of what a plant. So I've learned time is one of the, is one of the biggest thing that comes to change. And that change, change is not an event, it's a process. So for me, whatever it might be, whatever, I'm looking to achieve and be successful at. You have to let that situation take its course. And eventually you can look back at it and, and be proud that it was achieved and talk the ins and outs of what it took to get there. Good stuff. Thank you for sharing. Uh, final question for you. Do you have any upcoming projects or some final thoughts that you'd like to share with our listeners? Yeah. So, you know, upcoming projects is, you know, I've, created three different scenarios on my podcast one has just been me and my brother who it's interesting like to have a podcast to be doing with your brother you know a lot of people question you know how can you get along with your brother and do something to me it's for the, the great common good and what you're hoping to achieve sometimes that takes long and sometimes you have your rough patches but eventually it's what you're trying to hopefully accomplish in the end of the day and to me, part of the reason why I am where I am is because I searched for truth. I had a hunger and desire. So if you're looking for truth, to me, you need to walk down that path. There's a scripture in Matthew 7, 7 and NLT says, Ask and you shall receive. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. Now, the NLT says, keep on asking, keep on seeking, keep on knocking. That just illustrates this desire that if you really want it and you really desire it, then I think at some point when you draw near to God, God will draw near to you. So there's an expectation that if you seek to want to have value, understanding, information, truth, in order for that to happen, going down a path or a journey to achieve that takes work. And not giving up is one of those elements to make sure that you're satisfied content with what you hopefully discover whatever that may be for me it was reading god's word for you i'm pretty sure there's numerous things and and just being happy and content and satisfied with where you are in life right 
being content and satisfied with what you're doing and how you're helping other people and how they're benefiting from it. And, you know, Aristotle said this beautiful thing. He said, at the intersection of life lies your gifts, talents, and your ability. And then there lies your purpose. So whatever you're talented in, whatever you're good at, whatever God has gifted you with, make sure that the world knows your imprint. For me, it's having a podcast that if I die, people can always go to it. And there's something that I produce in the world that they can gravitate toward. And for you, I believe it's the same thing, giving people like myself an opportunity and a platform to come and share their things. They might be, it might be counter to what a person believes, but I believe someone today who has heard this discussion has grasped and appreciated that. And more importantly, last thing I'll say is it's a pastor in Colossians. It said, let your speech be seasoned with salt that you know how you ought to answer people. So for me, salt is godly wisdom, godly discernment, godly judgment, but that speaks to the understanding that how I carry myself, how I talk to people, how I communicate is very important. So for me, you may not, you may not know who Jesus is, but I hope that how I portrayed myself as an instrument of righteousness rather than wickedness in this conversation has brought someone closer to potentially be interested to want to learn more about that said belief. Me, I think that's all that I can ever ask for and want to do for my side. Live a life worthy of what my calling is to help and point people in the direction. I don't save anybody, by the way. I just point you in the direction to where I think you can have. And that's all that I that I ever wanted to ever want to do. Well, thank you very much for uh, for sharing, for, for being on the show. It's been a pleasure. And um, yeah, I wish you all the best with the show and you know, your future. Is there any way I can shout out? Is there any way I can shout out an IG or? Of course you can. Yes, sure. go for it. Thanks. Yeah, so as... Christian said, my podcast, The Truth of the Matters podcast, is available on all podcast streaming platforms, whether that's Google, Apple, Amazon, you name it. It's, it's available there, Spotify. And my Instagram is, you know, I'm trying to get used to being on Instagram. I'm not a big fan of it, but it's called The Truth of the T-M-I-S. It's The Truth of T-M-I-S. It's all together. Come there. I also have a Facebook page called I'm a Believer. And there we, we post up a verse a day and it's just an opportunity for you to, you know, close yourself there. And I believe we grow in community, not isolation. So that's just an opportunity there. And, you know, I'm not so much on my high horse that if you ever reach out to me, email, and you want to have a conversation, I'm open to having a conversation. I believe you, you, the biggest thing you can do is grow in conversations like this if you're interested. So for me, it's speed, S-P-E-E-D. And then it's ED at the end, so it's speed it, 83 at gmail.com. And I promise you, I will respond to you at my earliest convenience. Awesome. Thank you so much. Appreciate it, man. And uh, to all the listeners of the Christian Read Podcast, I hope you enjoyed the episode. And as always, be safe, be well, and I'll see you in the next one.